0: Happy weekend. And with it being the weekend, grab a bunch of friends and head on over to Walters. Now, with a fully covered patio that keeps you cool as it nears 90 degrees, Walters is a great spot to catch the Nats, Caps, and Wizards this weekend.
1: On Sunday, Walters is the perfect place to hang with friends before, during, or after the Nats O series finale. Plenty of TVs to watch the Wizards and Mystics in the afternoon or the Caps and DC United at night. Check out their beer wall filled with options, including many local drafts.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Belts one to left center field. This is trouble. This one way back. And this one is gone. Goodbye. A line drive into the Orioles bullpen to the left of the 377 marker. Ryan Mountcastle has hit a grand slam for the Orioles. And the Orioles lead by the score five to nothing. The 2-2 pitch. Swing so a high drive left center field deep. Back on this one is Mountcastle to the track to the wall. It's gone. He's got a grand slam. Bingo. <laughs> the Nets are right back in the game. As Harrison goes deep for his fourth home run it's now 6-5 swing so a long drive left field forget about it way back there and long gone into the Orioles bullpen three-run homer Ryan
0: Zimmerman's is fifth Nationals lead 9-6 and welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, May 23rd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it finally happened. The Nationals in the 2021 season won a game in which they gave up at least six runs, a 12-9 win over the Orioles at Nationals Park on Saturday. Nats get to 19-23 and 23 on the season. The game was long. The game was crazy. The game featured each team hitting a grand slam over the first three innings. The game featured Davey Martinez batting the starting pitcher in the ninth spot. And perhaps not so coincidentally, the Nats busted out with 12 runs. That was some game Nationals come through with the victory.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, if that isn't the evidence right there that you've been asking for to hit the pitcher ninth, look what happens. you score 12 runs. You'll hit 15 hits. You'll hit a grand slam for the first time this year. Can we start with the bases loaded numbers? Because we've mentioned this when things were awful. Let's finally give them a little credit. Thanks to Josh Harrison's grand slam, the Nationals are now 7 for 42 with one home run with the bases loaded this season. Good for them for that. We also have to point out, though, that their opponents with the bases loaded are now 14 for 39 with six home runs with the bases loaded six grand slams they've already given up only three less than the franchise record the club record for a full season so um that is not good but they at least proved that they could do it themselves they are capable of winning a game like this they hadn't won a game anything at all like this this season you know it's not the roadmap you usually want to take this isn't the way they're going to try to win a lot of games but at least in the back pocket they know that they can do it if they have to
0: If you are a glass half full person, you rave about the offense in this game because the offense was spectacular. If you are a glass half empty person, you say, geez, they gave up another grand slam. They were down five nothing. Lester got shelled. Will Harris looked like a mess. And the Nationals had to use six pitchers in a game in which the team scored 12 runs. It's not supposed to work that way. Well, you have to use that many pitchers in a game like this, so you can kind of frame it how you want to, but the Nats do get the win, and they now can author a sweep of the Orioles, depending on what happens on Sunday afternoon. The Harrison-Homer was tremendous. It was exactly what we've been begging for with the Nationals, especially with all of the Grand Slams that they've given up. and. You know, Josh Harrison, we've talked about him, Mark. First of all, he starts in center field on Saturday. That was interesting. We haven't seen uh, much, if any, of that so far this year. First time in his career. First time in his career. Okay, I didn't realize that. And to see him continue to have the season that he's having, I mean, again, it's, it's a glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing because it is an indictment of the rest of the Nationals that Josh Harrison has been one of the best offensive players this season, but... Josh Harrison has been one of their better offensive players this season, 824 OPS now. This is a guy, people have to remember this, he was released by the Philadelphia Phillies last summer. That's how the Nats got him, and that he's produced as he has produced, and he's displayed obviously this position flex, including starting in center field on Saturday. Uh, I give Josh Harrison a lot of credit. He's been a really nice player for the Nats.
1: So he's had a little chip on his shoulder since the Phillies released him, and I think He's saying, hang on, guys. Remember the player that I was for the Pirates for a while. He's been an all-star. He's been a good, solid player before on good teams, I and mean, he was a big part of those Pirate teams that made the playoffs three years in a row. They dealt with some injuries, and that kind of took him off the radar map here for a couple of years, and now he's in his 30s. The Phillies didn't have a spot for him, and he gets released right before opening day last summer, the shortened season, he's driving home to Cincinnati with his family, waiting to see if he's going to get an offer, maybe a minor league offer from somebody. He's literally 20 minutes from his front door in Cincinnati when he gets the call from his agent saying the Nationals want you, they want you on a big league deal, can you get to DC? So he drops the family off in Cincinnati, gets back in the car, drives to DC and joins them uh, you know, a day or two later and He has become an important part of this team. Now, maybe in a perfect world, he's not playing every day for you and batting sixth or even fifth at times. Maybe in a perfect world, he is bouncing around more, playing center field on occasion, playing left field, coming off the bench. But for now, this is what they have. This is what they need. And he is delivering for them. And that's been very valuable to this team.
0: I also would say he's number two on the Nationals in charisma. I don't know that anyone can surpass Juan Soto. I mean, when a guy makes grabbing your crotch cool, you know the guy's got charisma. So I think Soto's got that number one spot. But Harrison, to me, is number two. He is a fun player. He looks like he's having fun when he's on the field. He's got a little bit of swagger to him. You could tell a little bit of attitude to him. He's cool to watch. Like He comes off like someone who genuinely enjoys playing the sport of baseball, and he believes in himself. And good for him. He should believe in himself with the season he's had so far.
1: Yeah, the key word there is genuine. It's not an act with him. You can tell that this is who he is. It's authentic. And his teammates love it he rubs off on them. They like that kind of guy. He's a spark plug, pick your term for it, but they do like it a lot. And, you know, it's funny, like if if he had been a member of the 2019 team, I feel like he would have been a little bit of a cult hero. Like that's the kind of player he can be on a really good team. Unfortunately, they're asking him to take on an even bigger role with this team. We'll see where it all goes in the end, but very popular among teammates and respected because here's a 33 year old who's had a nice, solid career is willing to do whatever they ask of him. Like I said, he played center field for the first time. He had done it in one other official game his first year in the minor leagues with the Cubs like 13 years ago. Now, he did it in spring training, so like he's been preparing for this possibility. But he's been more than happy to do it, to offer it, and the right situation came up against a lefty. Obviously, Victor Robles is hurt right now, so it made sense to do it. And He didn't really get tested out there much, but it, it worked out fine, and that you need guys like that who don't have the ego and are willing to do whatever's asked of you, always have a smile on their face. That that stuff makes a difference over a long season.
0: Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Do or die for the Capitals on Sunday evening. Home to the Boston Bruins at 7 down 3-1 in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Peter Lobby led on Saturday saying there's no room for the week in the playoffs. The Capitals can't be weak again. I say play the Caps. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action.
4: 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.final.com. Gambling problem? Call one 800 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it Indiana One hundred two seven zero seven one one seven for confidential help in Michigan 100 gambler New Jersey Pennsylvania Illinois Virginia Tennessee 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia visit www.100gambler.net
1: Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nat's Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Rachel.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Pitch from Scott. is hit on a line and a base hit in the right center field. Zimmerman to is going to get the wave in. Santander cuts it off in the alley, and Zimmerman will score. Kyle Schwarber drives him in, and the Nationals lead 11 to 7. Ryan Zimmerman scores his 948th run, now number one in franchise annals, passing the Hall of Famer, Tim Raines. And they're saluting Ryan Zimmerman for that accomplishment with a standing ovation.
0: Ryan Zimmerman came through in a big way on Saturday, starting first baseman, number three batter, three for five with a three-run homer and two singles Zim one-out single in the Nats four-run third, three-run homer in the Nats four-run fourth, and he had himself a full count infield single in the game as well. That coming in that Nationals three-run sixth inning, that might have been the most impressive thing, the old man motoring to get to first base in that spot. And Zimmerman making some history in this game, too, in scoring a run in that three-run six, becoming the franchise's all-time leader in regular season runs. And when we say franchises, it's not just the Nats franchise. It's Nats slash Expos. Ryan Zimmerman is atop yet another list in the history of the franchise.
1: All right, so I could talk about the three-run homer, which is great, 436 feet, but I don't want to talk about the three-run homer. I want to talk about that trip around the bases in the sixth inning. And it was fitting that that's how he broke the franchise record for runs because he earned that one with his legs. Yes, I said Ryan Zimmerman earned that one with his legs. Like you said, he beat out the infield, the little roller to third, chugged it out, beats the throw. And then sneaky, important play. He tags up from first base on a fly ball to the warning track in right field, tags up and makes it to second. And that put him in position to then score on Kyle Schwarber's single to center. He earned that record. He didn't know it was coming. I think all of us kind of had forgotten that because it was still three away and you're not expecting three of them in one game. And, you know, Ryan Zimmerman has taken plenty of curtain calls in his time here. And they're often for these records that in his mind, he kind of shrugs off a little bit like, all right, whatever. I think he really appreciated this one. Not just that it's, you know, more runs than Tim Raines, who was never a Washington National. And it's always a little awkward when you have to include the Expos and the Nationals. But You know, he hadn't had a moment with the fans in a long time, and it meant something to him. He hammed it up. He appreciated it. He put his hand to his heart. He waved. He turned and waved to the outfield as well. I think he really enjoyed that. I think he is really enjoying himself this year. I think I told you the other day, I had a chance to interview him one-on-one, the first player I've interviewed in person. I'm going to have that story up on Monday. He is really enjoying himself this year, and he is embracing the role that he is in, something he's never done before, and it is going extremely well. He leads the team with a 321 batting average, 564 slugging percentage, and 918 OPS. That is 36-year-old Ryan Zimmerman.
0: He's been awesome. This whole thing about, you know, the sort of Howie Kendrick approach with Zimmerman for this season, it's worked out beyond anyone's realistic hopes. You know, like you would have never thought like it would be this good and it would go this well, and yet it has. Um, It's been a weird season for the Nationals in so many ways, but the fact that Zimmerman, first of all, he stayed healthy so far, which has been nice. And obviously the lack of playing time has had something to do with that, but that he has been this productive. I mean, in terms of plate appearance per plate appearance, you could argue he's been their best hitter this season, not Trey Turner. And Trey Turner's having a very good year. But Zimmerman, like plate appearance per plate appearance, has brought it. Those numbers really are jaw-dropping. I mean, 564 slugging for Zimmerman on the season right now. It, it just, it's just a tremendous job by him. You know, it's funny. He said in a post-game interview on Masson, he did not know about the record at all until he was told about it. I believe that. I don't know. I don't know that he's necessarily tracking where he ranks among, you know, uh, all-time Nationals and Expos players with runs. But good for him to get an honor like that. And, you know, seeing curtain calls, I don't know that I will ever view curtain calls the same way off what we've all been through the last year. I want to see as many curtain calls as possible this season.
1: I'm with you. I can tell you these last two days, there's been an energy in the crowd. I mean, part of it is that it's a larger crowd. They had 15,000 for this game, the biggest of the season. But you can tell just how everybody's appreciating this. I hope it lasts all year long, especially as the crowds get bigger over the summer. Everybody's been waiting for this. The players have been waiting for it. And you hear them talking about it makes a difference. And, you know, I'll be interested, too, to see, does it make a difference on the field as they're starting to get into these moments where the crowd is hyping them up and they're feeding off that. You've heard more than one of them talk about that and use that as a reason for maybe why last year that they struggled at times because they just couldn't provide their own energy. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out this year. And I, I do think it matters to them. The fans are loving it. It's been the first two games of the series have been a lot of fun. This has felt like the closest thing we've had as a return to normalcy since 2019. It's been really enjoyable.
0: So a really good game for Josh Harrison, really good game for Ryan Zimmerman. Trey Turner did have another good game, two for five with an RBI double and a single. Juan Soto had himself a good game. He went two for four, had himself a double, a single, and a walk. Kyle Schwarber had a nice game, a couple of singles, and a walk. And yes, the pitcher did bat ninth. Jordy Mercer was the number eight batter. Shows you the power, the influence of Jordy Mercer, that he was a number eight batter and John Lester was ninth. Here's a simple question. Was this a matchup thing, just a one-day thing? Or do you think maybe, just maybe, Davey Martinez, as a loyal listener to the Nats Chat podcast, has finally gotten off of the pitcher batting eighth in the lineup?
1: So what I would say is I think his reason for doing it in this game was a matchup thing. And they're facing a lefty. They don't have Victor Robles, who we should point out an MRI did officially diagnose him with a, uh, an ankle sprain It's kind of getting better, but not all the way back yet. I think Sunday's the key day. If he's not ready to play on Sunday, I think they're going to place him on the injured list because they can backdate it three days so they wouldn't lose any time and then be able to get him back maybe a week from now. So watch for that on Sunday. So with Robles not able to play and Stevenson, you don't want to start against a lefty in Bruce Zimmerman. So now this is why Josh Harrison was in center field for the first time in his career, which then puts Jordy Mercer at second. Long way of saying they didn't have that, quote unquote, second leadoff hitter, the speedy guy that Davey liked. So I think that was the reason he didn't do it. Now, having said that, as we've pointed out before, Davey Martinez, he's not superstitious, but as he says, he's a little stitious. And when you score 12 runs with this lineup... You better believe he's going to do something similar on Sunday. He's not going to shake it all up again. Of course not. He, he knows better than to tempt the baseball gods like that. So we may see the pitcher, I think it's Corbin on Sunday, hitting ninth. And if they have another good game, maybe that'll be the end of it. And Al Galdi can breathe a sigh of relief. We don't have to watch the pitcher hit eighth. Maybe ever again, if this is the last year for pitchers hitting.
0: By the way, that line that Davey said, how he's a little stitious, that's one of the great lines Davey has ever had. That was hysterical.
1: I think he stole it from Michael Scott on The Office.
0: Oh, he did? We'll give it to Davey, but you know, I think it's a Michael Scott. That does sound like a Michael Scott line. I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I am a little stitious. One more on the offense. So look, the Orioles are horrible, okay? The Orioles are a tanking team. The front office is not trying to win, hasn't been trying to win for years. Uh, and the Orioles, to their credit, have replenished their farm system. We'll see if it all ends up working out or not. But Bruce Zimmerman has been a mess so far this year. Adam Pletko, Tanner Scott, the Nationals off those three Orioles pitchers on Saturday, scored 12 runs in six innings. If you're trying to be objective about this, like, is it okay to feel great about what the Nats did? Or do you have to sort of take it down a notch just because the Orioles are so bad from a pitching perspective?
1: Um, I think you have to consider who you're facing. Yes. And that is part of the equation. Would they have done the same thing if they were facing Jacob deGrom in the Mets bullpen today? Probably not. But, Here's the thing. They don't need to score 12 runs every game. How about, you know, six every once in a while (laughs) would be nice. Maybe you can do that against a more formidable opponent. So I I think what it does is at least takes a little pressure off them. Okay, they finally got the big hit with the bases loaded. They finally strung together some hits with runners in scoring position. Maybe that does allow them to relax the next time they're in that spot against a different opponent. Like, no, you don't want to read too much into this game against the, the teams they're playing, but they all count the same. And they're doing what you're supposed to do against a rebuilding team like the Orioles. And that's important because we know how much of a grind the NL East games are going to be all year long. So take advantage of the ones when you get the chance to face a team like this.
0: Yes. And, you know, I've gotten on the Nats when they have not done well, not busted out against bad pitching. The Nats busted out against bad pitching on Saturday. So, give them credit, like you said, the Nats did as, in theory, a good offense should do when facing a really bad pitching staff. So that was the good for the Nationals on Saturday. There was no bad. This was a wild game. And the Nationals were down 5 nothing at the end of the first inning. Thanks to John Lester struggling and struggling big time for a second consecutive start. Six runs in four innings on five hits, which were a grand slam, two doubles and two singles, three walks, four strikeouts. He threw 79 pitches over the four innings. And it, in so many ways, was about that top of the first. A disastrous five-run top of the first. John Lester gives up a leadoff single to Cedric Mullins, RBI double to Freddie Galvis, five-pitch walk to Trey Mancini, and 11-pitch walk to Anthony Santander. He had uh, Lester did Santander down at 1.12, ends up walking him on 11 pitches, and then came the biggest blow, two-out grand slam by Ryan Mountcastle. Now, what was so odd about that inning was that Lester recorded back-to-back strikeouts of the ex-NAT Pedro Severino and Michael Franco on seven pitches, so you felt like maybe John's going to get out of this thing and then came the Grand Slam by Mountcastle, who is a highly regarded prospect, but has not been very good so far this year. Then Lester gives up another run in the top of the third, one-out double by Santander on a 1-2 pitch, one-out single by Severino on a 1-2 pitch. And then he ended up walking, Lester did, Franco. So, you know, Lester, he looked good over his first three starts, all things considered. Last two starts, though, now have not gone so well.
1: No, they haven't. And I think the theme here, I think two things. One is, as we've seen, if... He doesn't get the ball down, and I mean way down. He is susceptible to the home run, especially on a warm day where the ball is going to travel. The home run pitch was just on a platter for Mountcastle, so that's problem number one. Problem number two, you can't give away free bases. He walked the back-to-back hitters, and I get they're good hitters, and it was a nice at-bat by Santander to foul all those off, but you got to be able to put someone away and make them earn their way on and not just you know issue the walk, so that, that you know was troubling. Now, you want to take the glass-half-full approach here. I'm not trying to say this was a very good outing, but Davey Martinez mentioned this, that at the end of that inning, he's thrown 36 pitches in the first inning, down 5 nothing, and he could have kind of folded it, the tent over at that point. And he didn't. 1-2-3 second, he gave up the run in the third, a 1-2-3 fourth. He gave him whatever he had at that point. And Davey appreciated that from him, and he thinks that is what makes Lester the competitor that he is. Now, John wasn't taking any satisfaction in it in the end. He knows he's got to be better than this. But and what could have been an absolute meltdown of a start in which he was asking the bullpen now to give him seven or eight innings, he at least got through four on 79 pitches and made it a little bit less of a workload for the bullpen. On the long run, that's not going to work. You know, that, that's not going to do it for them. But if that's the worst that he is, then there is some saving grace to that in that he was able to, to compete enough to get through four innings.
0: So his last outing, that seven three loss at the Cubs on Monday night, Lester got shelled five runs in five and a third innings, gave up three homers in that game. So you're now looking at over his last two games, eleven runs allowed in nine and a third innings, and that's a rough way to make a living. You know, Nats are not going to score twelve runs every time John Lester pitches. So you know, we've spent so much time about Eric Fetty versus Joe Ross, and I'm not saying that Lester's in danger of being yanked from the rotation or anything like that. We're not there yet, but. You do have to, you know, be honest about this. Like he's been really bad over these last two outings, and he was really bad his last two seasons with the Chicago Cubs. There's a reason the Nats signed John Lester on the cheap. He was available on the cheap this past offseason. So rough outing for him. Did you think, by the way, and I know this doesn't really make like a lot of logical sense, but just like watching baseball, you kind of feel this way. So Nats are down 5 nothing at the end of one. They then, though, score the one run in the bottom of the second and then get the grand slam from Harrison in the bottom of the third. It almost felt like a new game for John Lester, that maybe they would kind of just let him be out there longer. And I know you brought this up, like Lester did kind of bounce back from that first inning. Did you think that Davey might let John pitch longer than even the four innings that John ended up pitching?
1: So I think he was hoping that he would get the chance to. And it was more a matter of the fact that his spot was going to lead off the bottom of the fourth. And I think Davey felt like we just got to take advantage of our, for our chance. Cause they hadn't, I mean, they were down one, two, three, four, four, they were down six, five at that point. So yeah, I mean, it's, it is a new game, but I think he also had to expend a lot. And it was a, it was a warm day. and this is someone for whom let, let's remember, like this is what his fifth start of the year. He dealt with two shutdowns essentially in spring training. And then at the start of the season, the first for the parathyroid surgery, then uh, when he ends up on the COVID IL, you could argue that he's still building his way back up to this. And and you know, he should get there soon enough. It shouldn't be an issue much longer. But I think Davey's probably thinking, We don't need to push it here. Let's put a hitter up there, try to take the lead in the fourth inning, and think big picture here with John Lester. It would have been okay to try to push it, extend it a little farther, but let's say he does struggle in the fifth. I think it, it changes the tone of the outing. And at least this way by pulling him he had a nice one, two, three fourth inning. And you could say, All right, you know what? It wasn't your best day, but at least battled and he gave us a chance, go hit the showers and come back in five days and do it again.
0: So the Nats scored 12 runs from the second inning through the sixth inning, but end up having to use five relievers. This was one of the shames of the game. You score 12 runs, you should not have to use five relievers. And yet the Nats did. This was another game in which the Nats' bullpen gave up some runs. This has become kind of a disturbing trend where it feels like game in, game out, the bullpen is good for at least a couple of runs to be allowed. Austin Voth gave up a run over two innings, uh, gave up his run top of the fifth, two out first pitch solo homer by Anthony Santander. Kyle Finnegan did toss a scoreless top of the seventh, but then Will Harris had all kinds of problems in the top of the eighth. Two runs, no outs, did not get a man out, allowed a leadoff single to Michael Franco, a double to Ryan Mountcastle, and then a full count two-run double to Pat Valleka. Then Daniel Hudson came in, and he was great. Hudson's tremendous season continued. He was truly a fireman in that top of the eighth inning. Comes into the game, runner on second, nobody out. Nats nursing a 12-9 lead. Does give up a one-out single to Cedric Mullins on an 0-2 pitch. But Hudson retires the other three batters he faces, including striking out DJ Stewart, who was pinch hitting on three pitches for the first out. And then a big spot, striking out Trey Mancini, who's been on fire on three pitches with runners on first and third And two outs. Davey does go to Brad Hand in the top of the ninth. Hand, to his credit, does toss a perfect top of the ninth. So, very much a mixed bag for the pen. But a shame that you had to, I think, especially use Hudson. Like, this is not a game in which you should have had to use him, and probably not Hand either.
1: No, and I don't think that was the intention. I think when he put Will Harris on the mound, and at that point they're up five runs with two innings to go, you're thinking, all right, give me one inning out of Harris, and then somebody else, Sam Clay, Paolo Espino, somebody else can pitch the ninth and let's go home and save Hudson a hand for tomorrow. And unfortunately, he couldn't do that. And you saw he had to get Hudson warming up quick because Will Harris clearly didn't have it again. That to me is the biggest concern right now, Will Harris. He still does not have it. He has not got this figured out yet. I don't know if it's the hand issue that is still troubling him. I don't know if this is a larger issue beyond that. But I think we're getting to a point where if he's going to pitch, it's got to be in low leverage spots. And I get you're up five runs, so that's not exactly the highest of leverage spots, but he created it. He turned it into a high leverage spot by not retiring any hitters. That to me is one they're going to have to figure out here soon. And can they afford to keep putting him out there in in meaningful situations? And if not, can you afford to use a bullpen spot on him? Because there's a domino effect on the others. You're going to burn out Daniel Hudson, who has been fantastic if you keep letting that go. Now, the other part of this was Davey talked before the game about Brad Hand and about why he wants to leave him in that role moving forward. They know that there are some things they have to figure out. They feel like it's, you know, mechanics. It's not physical. He feels fine. The velocity is fine. That they think there's some reasons why maybe he's not as sharp and keeping the ball down the zone and all that. And, And he was much better in this game. But one of the reasons Davey pointed out why he wants to stick with Hand there is that he understands Daniel Hudson's value as the fireman. And yeah, you ideally want your best reliever to pitch the ninth inning. But as we've always pointed out, sometimes the most important outs come in the seventh or the eighth. And that's a real luxury to have a guy that you can call on to get yourself out of a jam earlier in the game. And so for everybody who's saying Daniel Hudson should close, it's not going to happen because I think they believe he is more valuable to them as the fireman, as the setup man. Now, ultimately, if Brad Hand can't figure it out, somebody's got to close. But for now, they're going to keep giving him chances and trust that Hudson can get the big outs before they ever get to that point.
0: Does it have to be, though, that someone is the closer? Like, can't he just kind of use guys as he sees fit in a given game? Like, if the highest leverage spot happens to be in the eighth, then you use Hudson there. If it doesn't, then maybe you use hand there. Like, does it have to be that one guy's the closer and one guy's the eighth inning guy?
1: So here's the thing, Al. You and I and many fans will always look at this and say, why does it matter? put your best guy out in the best spots. And philosophically, yes, of course, that makes sense and it's the way it should be. What I can tell you from having talked to enough managers and relievers along the way is roles are important to them because it helps them prepare over the course of a game for when they're going to be used. You don't just get the phone call and you're on the mound. Like There is a, a system to it and studying the game as it's playing out and preparing for when your time's gonna come. And remember, there's warmups involved and you don't wanna warm up a guy and then have to shut him down because the right situation didn't arise. So all of those things, for whatever reason, most of them feel like they are better off when they know what their role is gonna be in advance. Every once in a while, you can do it. Certainly at the end of a season when everything is magnified and the games really matter, yeah, you start doing that kind of stuff a little bit more. But when you're trying to manage a bullpen through a full season, everybody in the sport, for the most part, will tell you, that it's important to have more defined roles, that if you don't do it that way, you're gonna burn guys out, you're gonna misuse them, they're not gonna be as effective. I don't know, it would be interesting to see a team just go for broke with that and see how it worked. I know some teams try it here and there, but most people in baseball still still feel like this is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we see this in sports a lot, right? Things have always been done a certain way, so they have to be done that way. Pitchers are conditioned to think a certain way. I think there's an element to this of like a self limiting belief of like if you're a pitcher and like you feel like you have to have a role, then if you don't have a role, you're like, oh my god, what do I do? I think a lot of these guys would be better at this without roles than they think they would be. In other words, like they may think they have to have a role, maybe they don't. You know, I think a lot of this just has to do with like the way they've been conditioned and brought up. Like, if, if you really tried to start this at the minor league level as an organization, I really feel like you could do it the way I just talked about. But obviously, with especially older relievers, you know, they're kind of set in their ways and, you know, they're used to certain things. And there is still that culture in baseball, as much as analytics have taken over, there's still is this thing of like, no, this is the way we do it and this is the way we set it up. So it's interesting, though, to me, because Hudson, as we all know, has been their best reliever. You know, I think about Hudson, this is his age 34 season. And if he does end up encountering. Arm fatigue or any kind of an injury. This game on Saturday is the kind of game we're going to look back on of. You scored 12 runs against the lowly Orioles, and you had to use Daniel Hudson. It's outings like this that he should not have to be making, and yet he did because Will Harris struggled, like you said. The other thing I'd say is uh, Austin Voth, the carriage may be turning back into a pumpkin for him. He's had, he's had a few, if not bad outings and mixed outings here lately. I, you know, we were talking him up as maybe being a high leverage guy. I don't know about that now. He's had some rocky outings, three of his last four appearances. So I think that's something to start tracking as well, where he's at.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a couple of things. Uh, he's given up some long balls for one. But when you're learning how to be a reliever for the first time, and you've been a starter your whole life, it's a different life. It's a different thing. It's a different thing for preparation. It's a different way to keep your arm in shape. And maybe when he's pitching, I haven't looked at the numbers, how many days you know, it's been. But like, if you're pitching for the third time in seven days, and you've never done that before, This is a new thing for him, and it's going to take time to learn how to do that. And because he's been good and because others have not, maybe Davey has felt like he's needed to use him in certain spots and not be able to ease him into these roles as much as you want. And, you know, the other part of it is teams start getting scouting reports and they start figuring out, okay, we knew what he was as a starter. Well, how is he pitching as a reliever? Okay, he's coming out firing with fastballs and breaking balls and not throwing a lot else. Okay, well, now they know what to look for. So there is an adjustment period here. I wouldn't give up on him altogether, but I do think we have to be careful not to just say, "Oh, he was great in April, therefore he is the new seventh inning guy." It doesn't work like that. It does take some time to get used to these roles and for your arm and your body to get used to pitching like this with a workload you've never had before.
0: Yeah, both now has given up 4 runs in 6 innings over his last 4 appearances. He's allowed 3 home runs over his last 4 appearances. <laughs>
4: Hey, Chat listeners, Tim Chover's here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD Gummies. If you've been listening to this podcast and you know for well over a month, I've been telling you every single day about this. And let me tell you, it has helped me with sleep so much. Due to this podcast schedule, my sleep hours are a little unusual to say the least, but Sunday Scaries has saved the day for me in 2021. If you want some yourself, go to the website, sundayscaries.com. they got plenty of options for you. Check out their products. They have gummies. Oil, candy, bath bombs, so much more. Check it out. And Nats Chat Podcast has you covered as well for your first order. When you go to check out, type in the promo code Nats Chat. Again, the promo code Nats Chat to save 25% off your first order. So, again, go to Sundayscaries.com. Check it out. Look what you want. When you go to check out, type in the promo code Nats Chat to save 25% off your first order, and it'll be on your way and you'll sleep better than you have in years. <music>
0: We always want to hear from you guys. You can tweet us at the Nats Chat Podcast at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We got this email recently from Brad Skinker. It has to do with one of the heroes of Saturday's game. Writes Brad, Alan Mark, is Davies' use of Zimmerman a result of Carter Keyboom's failure? Going into the season, they were supposed to have Harrison and Zim off the bench to pinch hit in big spots. Now Harrison has to play almost every day and Zim is the only reliable bat off the bench. Just a thought. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I thought that was a smart question. You know, certainly part of why Zimmerman hasn't played more is because of Zimmerman and the injury history and the age. We get that. But what about that? The fact that because he's such a valuable guy off the bench, Davey is especially cautious with Zimmerman because if Zimmerman gets hurt, then really, who do you deploy off the bench? I mean, I guess Yadiel Hernandez has done a nice job, but after that, you're really down your top pinch hitters.
1: I love that question. And it's good, like second level thinking there. And this is where the domino effect of these things come in. We've mentioned this before, and I'm not sure I even fully appreciated it at the time when they sent Carter Keyboom down at the end of March. I remember even thinking like, you know, this may not be the end of the world for the team. I mean, he was going to be your number eight hitter. Yeah, it's disappointing, but Josh Harrison's a decent player who can step in. This team probably isn't going to win or lose because Carter Keboom did or didn't make the team. Well, In hindsight, there's a significant domino effect of that. When you built your team with that in mind, that he was going to be your everyday third baseman and that Starlin Castro was going to be your everyday second baseman. And now Josh Harrison is your utility guy. And Zim is a part-time first baseman and bench bat. That's a lot of things that now happen because the one guy didn't make the team and everyone else has to now fill those gaps and account for it. So I think there is something to what, what he's suggesting with that email. And if you're Davey, you know you got that one card to play. On the days that Zim doesn't start, you got that one card to play, and you got to pick the right spot for it late in the game. And we've seen him try to save him up for that. If Zim and Harrison are both on the bench, maybe you aren't as reluctant to do it. Maybe you use one of them earlier in a game to pinch it, or maybe you give one of them a start because at least you know you have the other one on the bench. So I like that question a lot, and I think there is some validity to it.
0: Yeah, good thinking there. I, I think with Keeboom, I mean, the biggest thing is highly touted prospect who right now looks like a flop. That's a big deal, right? I mean, they, they lose Anthony Rendon. They don't say sign Josh Donaldson. It's supposed to be Keyboom In back-to-back years as the everyday third baseman, and in both years, that ends up not being the case. But the, the kind of other part of this, too, is he's not even an option right now. I mean, nobody talks about him. He's not on the ball club. He's in the minors. You know, he's not doing particularly well in the minors. Like, it's not just that he's not the everyday third baseman, because at least last season, you could say, well, is that the everyday third baseman? But he's, you know, he's splitting time with his Druba Cabrera. He's not on the team. And it feels like he's not even close to being on the team. I've mentioned this previously. When the Nats had their COVID-19 situation early in the year, Keeboom was like the first guy to be sent back to the alternate training site the Nats wanted no part of him at the major league level. They were like, no, uh, as soon as we can send you back down, we're sending you back down. And that's what they did. But you know, I mentioned Yadio Hernandez. I did want to work this into the mix. Another pinch hit for him on Saturday. Pinch one out single in the Nats three run six. The SOBs, Mark, they are really emerging here. Hernandez had a pinch leadoff single in the one run six on Friday night. Andrew Stevenson in the game on Saturday, pinch leadoff single in the Nats four run fourth. We saw Ryan Zimmerman come through with a uh, pinch hit in the game on Friday night. This has been kind of a, a sneaky good thing for the Nats to emerge here. Maybe the bench does have a little more length than we thought in terms of what we're seeing from these guys from a pinch hitting perspective.
1: They're embracing this thing. Zim war the SOB. T-shirt uh, in his post-game press conference. And for those who didn't hear us the other day and, and are worried what we're talking about here, it stands for studs off the bench. OK, doesn't mean something else. It's studs off the off the bench. S they're embracing that role. And, and Zim pointed out, he said, you know, it's Zimmerman, Yadiel Hernandez, Jordy Mercer, Andrew Stevenson, Alex Avila. Those are the five typically on the bench. Four of those guys are in their 30s. Now, Yadiel Hernandez is a rookie, but he, he's a veteran, you know, age wise. Andrew Stevenson is the only young guy in that group. I think there's a little bit of, you know, the old guy Viejo thing, embracing it among themselves. And I think Josh Harrison is probably like an honorary member of the group because that's kind of the role that he normally fits into. So yeah, they are embracing it and trying to have some fun with it and make the most of it. And just get back to Keyboom here real quick. You're 100% right that he is not on the radar. You remember who started, I mean, after all the players who were out to start the year, the opening day second baseman, the guy they chose to start. On opening day at second base, was Hernan Perez, and to start a few games after that. And Kibum never started. He had, a, I think, maybe one pinch hit appearance, a pinch running, a couple things. Like he barely appeared, and then he was the first one sent back down. He's hitting 211 at uh, Rochester. If they needed somebody, he is not first on the list. And we were talking earlier about Victor Robles, and I know people are wondering why he hasn't been put on the IL yet. Part of the reason is they don't have great options on their 40-man roster. They don't have any other outfielders. And the infielders are Keeboom and Luis Garcia. There is nobody really waiting in the wings to be called up from a position player standpoint to help them out. That's why we keep saying this is the team. This is the group that's going to have to get it done from an offensive standpoint this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Nats already had a bad farm system situation coming into the season, and somehow it's gotten worse with what's happened with Like Now you're like, okay, at least you had Keyboom as, as a somewhat promising prospect, and like that has just gone completely off the rails with the way things have gone down. Well, keep the feedback coming. Remember, you can send us your voice memos as well. Record yourself asking a question, making a comment, and then email that to us. Again, the email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Also, if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email the mastermind of all of this, Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. The Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. We continue to get all kinds of great feedback regarding those. You can uh, order your shirt, site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: Right-handed hitter, feet spread, open stance, knees bent in the pitch, swinging a shot back through the middle. Mercer right there has it. He plants. He throws to Zimmerman. And bang! Zuma! Curly W's in the box.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?